Welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman. I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion is centered around the applications of training for baseball players. With spring training and the beginning of the college baseball season on the horizon, we brought together a panel of human performance practitioners that have a wealth of experience in the field of strength conditioning, and especially within the game of baseball. Our first panelist is coach Brandon Golden. Brandon is a performance coach at Five Tool Connection. His resume is impressive, and it's no secret he enjoys being around the game of baseball. Brandon has held performance titles at a number of institutions, highlighted by serving as strength conditioning coach for Collegiate USA Baseball, the East Carolina University Men's Baseball Program, and performance coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. He also serves as adjunct professor of kinesiology at LaSalle University. Our second panelist is Coach Ryan Tibbetts. Ryan is the assistant director of performance science with an emphasis on athlete availability for the Milwaukee Brewers. He oversees all components regarding physiological readiness, external workload, and athletic capacity. Before joining the Brewers, he spent three seasons serving as strength conditioning coach for the Baylor Bears men's baseball program. He also spent three years with Stanford University Sports Performance Department, where he worked with multiple sports and was part of two national championship winning programs. Our third panelist is coach Isaac Salazar. Isaac is entering his second year with the Brewers as Director of Strength Conditioning, where he serves to support strength conditioning, as well as performance nutrition initiatives across all levels of the Brewer system. Prior to this position, he spent over nine years as the Director of Strength Conditioning at Cal State Fullerton. Other performance stops include Assistant Strength Conditioning Coach with the Boris Corporation, UC Irvine, and Minor League Strength Conditioning for the Los Angeles Angels. We're ready to talk training soon, but I have to take a moment to acknowledge and appreciate the people on this panel. When I was a strength conditioning coach at the University of Washington, I sat in an opposing dugout from all three of you and all three of you in the same season we were just catching up on. Brandon brought his guys into the weight room in Seattle. I brought my guys to Fullerton twice where Isaac and his staff graciously, graciously hosted us. And Ryan, we traded off home field advantage in our two years there. So being with you guys today is really awesome. Uh, I appreciate that at the time, everybody was really welcoming and eager to, to connect and learn from one another, which is the exact spirit of the Kaiser Education Series. So. We're going to get into it. I'm going to start with Isaac. Isaac, what's going on? How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for yeah. having us and, and thanks for including us in consideration for this. This is awesome. Of course. And uh, Brandon, how are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for setting this up, guys. This is awesome. Of course. And then uh, last we go over to Ryan. Ryan, what's up? All good on my end. Glad to be a part of this. Okay. Well, we're ready to talk baseball, so let's do it. And we're going to start fairly general with our first question and then hopefully get more granular once you've each had a chance to answer. In performance, we can all appreciate the need for assessment. And Brandon, I'm going to start with you on this one and then go to Isaac next. And then Ryan, you'll have a chance to answer if you'd like as well. From a musculoskeletal approach, what assessments have you identified as important for your understanding of the individual and the subsequent prescription of training and programming? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And uh, I think it's one that like, you know, everybody wants to talk about and everybody wants like the secret answer. Like, is it FMS? Is it on base? You like, what is it like? What's the the movement screen that's going to, you know, make your players go do the things that they need to do. But, you know, what we've developed and you know what the guys with Five Soul Connection have developed, like it's a very simplistic model of like, you know, the joint by joint approach. Like, how do your ankles move? How does the pelvis move? How does the thoracic you know, has a T-spine move, like how does everything move? Like how do those segments move together, but also like independently? Um, and what we've done a, a good job of is is just making things as general as possible, like very general movement patterns. 
to then be able to go pair up into this, you know, super complex movement is the delivery of the swing. So, um, yeah, I don't want to talk too much. I want these other smart guys to be able to get a chance to say, but like, I think the big thing for me personally is like understanding like how do the ankles work and then like how is the pelvis working and or not working together. Um, if you get those two things, you can kind of like piece things together pretty well. So I'll let these guys jump in and comment on that. Sure. And you mentioned ankles and then pelvis. So it sounds like a little bit of a ground up approach uh, with, with your approach to assessments. Isaac, I'm going to go over to you here and give you a chance. What assessments have you identified uh, with the Brewers or in your experience? Yeah. Baseball have a long yeah. period of time that are important. Uh, I, th I think like a global approach, if we boil it down, um, that it, that can be accessible anywhere uh, with any program team, um, simplistically finding out like how strong our athletes are, whether, whatever those KPIs are for you, whatever tools you have to evaluate those and how powerful they are. Um, and there's lots of ways to do it. You can do it with mineral resources. You can do it with tons of tech. Um, when you get into you know, professional baseball and you're working on like, multiple coaches across a lot of levels um we get a little we get to be a little more strategic with those things a little more targeted um but you know finding an idea to track and measure whether your programming is working for the subsequent subsequent goal is, is super important and then um you know ultimately we're in the injury injury prevention strategy so within that context just making sure that we identify um the things that that are most necessary to limit from overuse or pattern overload injury um, and how can we insulate an, an athlete um, for durability in that regard too. So, you know, going back to the things that, that Brandon looks into uh, from a movement and a joint by joint approach is super important. There's a ton of ways to cut it up. Um, but those would be like a staple across any, any platform, any sport um, and any tools that you have. So I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And Ryan, you have a unique, title that I was reading was athlete availability and, and assistant performance science director for athlete availability. So talk a little bit about that, your role there. And then also for you, uh, within the Brewers organization as well, what kind of assessments or things that are important for you and, and the Brewers and maybe echoing some of the things that Isaac said there. Yeah. So really just to kind of get into my position, it's rather unique in that I get to be mostly, um, a supporting cast member to a lot of our strength conditioning coaches and our player health, so our, our medical staff as well, and just kind of being a bridge there to make sure um, the processes that we have in place to have the best scientific um, backing behind it. So like the empirical knowledge kind of uh, being able to provide that to all of our coaches and just help them with their decision-making process and understanding, hey, here's the assessments that we chose, here's why we do them, and here's here is how they get used. So using that as a segue into the question, I think a, an interesting piece in the assessment part for me, sure, as, a, as an athlete intake perspective, you want to take that more global approach and let's just see if we can get as much information and data on a guy as we can to serve as a baseline for inevitably, like as much as we try to mitigate the, the injury risk, it's probably going to happen during an athlete's career. So as long as we have a baseline that we can compare to when trying to get a guy back to the point and hopefully even better um, to a point where he can go back and compete on the field. Um, I think from a global approach, like that's what we try to do is we take athletes in, but then ultimately the game itself is going to be your, your biggest screening tool. So for the coaches that have been around the sport for a long time, like you kind of have that coach's eye when you're watching either a pitcher's delivery or a player's swing, or, you know, even just some of the, the basic things of like a, a shortstop fielding the ball and then getting it over to first base. Like you just kind of see some things you're like, Hey, that looks a little weird maybe I want to dive into that a little bit deeper 
So being able to look at a guy's performance on the field, I think is our biggest catalyst for the reason of why we would dive in a little bit deeper into looking at some of these assessments and tools. And, um, you know, if it doesn't impact a guy on the field of play, then why are we really doing it? You know, like if a guy's table test shows, oh yeah, you've got some limited IR on your shoulder and, you know, hip external range of motion is a little funky, but on the mound, like you're out there and you can go out there and shove and you don't seem to have any problems with it, then I'm probably not going to worry about that too much. Um, and then from, you know, all your biomotor capabilities that we're tracking just to make sure that we're seeing progress and trends for a guy and their speed, power, strength, and, you know, our kind of normative ranges and acceptable values for what we're having for those different positions, kind of building those out and just saying, here's kind of the range, but you're always going to have your outliers. And we never want to pigeonhole a guy to say, we want to bring you to average because an average baseball player doesn't get very far. It's always your outliers that kind of make it to the, the highest levels. Um, but being able to know where they are have a plan in place to get them to that next point that we're trying to see from a progression perspective and just mapping out that plan, I think is the way that we would try to use our, all of, all of our assessments. Yeah, it's cool. It sounds like in your role, you have a little bit of mobility from level to level and a fresh set of eyes and to be a resource for a lot of those other coaches who are kind of in the thick of things from game to game, which we all know can be a little bit of a beast. Isaac, you mentioned a little bit about tech and the use of tech. So I want to dive into that a little bit. Is there anything off the top of your head right now that you're utilizing or tools you're utilizing from a tech standpoint with yeah, the I mean, that, for that us, are useful? We, we went from not being able to strategically measure progress and found lots of ways to collaborate through all of our different levels with limited resources coming into this second year uh, or coming into the first year, uh, Ryan and I worked together to create a, a roadmap for how to do it responsibly and efficiently and really hammer the basics really well um, instead of being saturated by all of the opportunities that tech can kind of provide for you. So, you know, ultimately we rely on the eyes, the strategies, the implementation, and, and the relationships that our coaches have with their players. And then we use the tools that we have to help guide the decisions or confirm the decisions that they're making on, on the day-to-day -day basis, um, whether the program that they're putting together is working or whether there's some adjustments that they can make to, to, um, to of course, correct some of the things that they see uh, with some of the strategies and experiences that they have. Um, you know, we went from not being able to track sets and reps globally to putting it into an athlete um, training conditioning software. Um, we went from finding proxy ways to evaluate strength and power to being able to do that with uh, portable uh, force plate opportunities. Um, and then we look for ways to drive intent and training with giving athletes really good feedback and awareness on, on um, the interest set uh, recommendation, the, um, the results from training through uh, accelerometer work, through linear transducer work, something that provides player facing feedback for confirmation that the training is going in the direction that we you know, feel is productive. And then also to drive um, um, or elicit the response that we're hoping to get. Um, activate high threshold motor units, encourage uh, strength and power development, which is awesome. Um, help tailor the training to be as simple as possible with the basics that we wanna to put together in front of the athletes. So there are tons of competitors in that space. We found you know, some that, that help facilitate our deliberate needs um, Ryan is the conduit for those things. His, his expertise is, uh, is emotional intelligence, his ability to communicate down 
um, from a strength conditioning experience and a scientific experience is super helpful to help speed up all of our coaches to be able to execute a plan and also be able to execute their own um, uh, recipe for training and success there too. Yeah, that's great insight. So I appreciate that. And we'll talk a little bit later about power and, and the types of things that we're doing to work on power and to help develop power with our baseball athletes. Brandon, I'm just going to give you a quick chance to answer that one as well in terms of on the tech side of things and assessments for a new athlete, new baseball player that you're getting in over there with you. What types of assessments are you doing? What kind of tech are you utilizing uh, to help give you better information to drive decision? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually uh, just got back to the house from Wake Forest. I was over there working with their guys. Um, we we have a partnership with them where we're doing some movement screens and we're doing like pre-swing, pre-throw stuff. Uh, they have a great strength and conditioning coach and a great medical staff over there. So we're just trying to help out a little bit on our end. But basically the reason I bring that up is because, you know, I was just over there and we were using output sports. Um, so basically what that that does, it's kind of similar to a lot of things that Isaac was just talking about. But I'm able to lay guys down on their back, do a straight leg raise, see how their pelvis dissociates from itself, have them on their back, do external rotation of the pelvis, of the hip, internal rotation, you know, shoulder, T-spine rotation. And, you know, a lot of the on-base you, a lot of the, like these, these measurements and things that we've all used before that were super subjective. And, you know, people are looking like side to side, like, hey, uh, does it look like he can get his pelvis or what? And people are like, ah, oh, yeah, like, yes, no. But, you know, now we, we have a very objective number to, you know, you're either within the threshold of a, a quality number from an external rotation standpoint, or you have an opportunity to get better at some of those things. So um, output sports has been huge for us. We can do the RSI, we can do med ball slams, we can do the VBT stuff like Isaac was talking about. So uh, anything that I need to do, I can, I can toss it in my bag and I can do it. And I'm actually going to Isaac's old stomping grounds here next week to visit my boy out at Fullerton. So I'll be taking that with me and then using it again. And it's, you know, it's just, it's something that's very simplistic again. And like, I don't want to jump the gun and get into the power stuff, but like kind of going back to what you were just talking, like what we're talking about with our movement screens and things like that, like Ryan hit on it. We can all see that stuff. Like we can all sit there and look like, Hey, this guy can get into his back hip and he throws a hundred. Like, yeah, there's something good there, but like as performance coaches, being able to identify what that good is and what makes that individual, that outlier to your point, like that's what we're trying to accomplish. And what we found is you can do some very, very general things and make them super complex. And then you can take the complex, which is the pitching delivery of the swing and make it super general. And then that's how it intertwines. And that's where the magic happens. And like, that's the, to me, that's why I've always stuck around the game of baseball is that art of it. And that's the fun part for me. So output sports is, is probably our, our big piece of technology we're using right now. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate everyone's feedback on that. And it's a nice segue into the next question, which is, you know, baseball is a very unique sport and that the throwing motion is so violent and the movement's so specific and it's done just over and over and over again. And shoulder health is obviously one of the most talked about baseball training topics. All three of you have alluded to shoulder health being more global and not just specifically the shoulder, but there are a lot of things you have to appreciate in terms of shoulder health. So when we look at things that are red flags potentially. And Brandon, you had just mentioned, okay, you know, we have our outliers, but if we were to bucket a bunch of athletes immediately and say, Hey, here's, here are some things that are really important to us. We're going to do this assessment. Uh, shoulder health is super important. The coaching staff says we want the healthiest shoulders this year. What are some things that all three of you can identify as, Hey, these are like major red flags for us. If this does not look good. 
yeah. kind of fill in the blank and I'll go to Brandon and then let the other two have a chance to answer as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, how do things function in a very controlled environment? So like taking the, the whole assessments, like we'll, we'll look at ankle mobility in the sagittal plane. All right, if they pass that, then we're going to ankle, ankle mobility and or stability in the frontal plane. And if there's an issue there, like just going up the chain. So like, do they have the ability to, as soon as that foot picks up, what's happening? So if they don't have the mobility and or stability in that ankle, there's going to be a disaster somewhere and it's going to just go up the chain. So you look at that, then you attack that first, you clean up the ankle, you allow it to do what it's, what it's made to do and function properly. And then another one for me is, you know, the straight leg raise and being able to see like, does the pelvis disassociate? Can they load it? You know, can they get an external rotation in, in IR and that backside load? Can they get into basically from a hitting and pitching standpoint, like can they get into their hips and can they get out? And if they can't, then there's going to be some type of lag and or some type of compensation um, that's either going to put that shoulder or elbow in a, in a compromised position because the torque and the force is still coming up the body. It's just like, how do they re-accept that and where do they generate it um, and allow it to come out of their hand? So that's, I think, the biggest thing for us is like being able to take a very simplistic look at it and say, okay, do the ankles work properly? Can they control their pelvis? Can they control their T-spine? Like, where's all of this stuff coming from? And if there is some metric, kind of like Ryan was talking about earlier, like, hey, well, they're up there doing their thing and it's good. Like, that's awesome. Like, yeah, we don't want to go mess with that. Like, we've all, we've all seen, everybody on here seen, like, some of the most unbelievable athletes in the world that have the worst movement screens possible. And, like, we're not going to go out there and fix them or we're not going to have jobs. But, like, at the same point in time, it's like, okay, like, if something – doesn't work properly or could we take an external rotation of the hip of the right hip if it's a right-handed thrower from 13 degrees to 20 degrees that we can all agree that's still bad I mean that's still like that's still not good but like it's allowing that athlete to just be slightly better so maybe they're not in a compromised position where that shoulder is going to be a ticking time bomb yeah absolutely thank you and I give Isaac and Ryan Mike and I are, are from another organization we just got traded for you know gumballs and a few bats because that's the quality of players that we are. But now we're coming into your organization and it's your chance to, to get your hands on us and, and look at some assessments or identify some things that early on might be like super red flags for you or things that you may want to avoid. What does that look like for, for the two of you within the Brewers organization? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Like We have a really good um, collaborative environment with our medical team that has a thorough orthopedic assessment and they rely on similar things to track and measure progress over time on, uh, when it comes to shoulder strength and have some confidence numbers and um, how well the shoulder can slow down as, as, as much as it can speed up uh, both in uh, from a mobility and a stability standpoint and some strength measures and confidences around those two to give us a picture of um, um, kind of the foundation that we're walking into uh, when we get into the gym and we're going to organize training globally. Most of our athletes aren't very good overhead. Um, they tend to be, uh, really restricted in the lat, the pec minor. There's a lot of tools that we, we try to incorporate in our general prep phases uh, for resetting the joints and then training in, in really good ranges of motion um, and expressing strength in all, all different angles and ranges of motion from overhead all the way down to all the different permutations of extension. And then be really, really good at progressions if, if we have the opportunity for chin up and, and, and other really good um, uh, scapular protraction, retraction, exercise selection that you know elicits a uh, like a high motor pull. Um, with that being said, like cleaning up those things initially, having an idea of, of what those movement restrictions are allows us to create a really robust plan 
to insulate the joint to be really strong and capable so that we can beat it up during the general preparation phase and then have it more prepared to uh, elicit force and accept force um, in their every in their day to day. Um, there's always a general understanding, like whatever that there, there's a lot of different workload normatives from all these different athletes, you know, their bands of, of what they're used to is different from athlete to athlete and just understanding, you know, from the skill perspective and the training perspective, um, having have a really good lens of what that looks like. And we rely on, on people like, um, uh, who are experts in the area, like Ryan to, to help guide those decisions as well. Um, but that's how we would hope to create principles off of, uh, training paradigms for, for how to handle, um, you know, some of the things that, that, uh, cost us more, uh, from time lost on the field, um, both from the pitcher's perspective and, and find ways to do that for our position players as well. Yeah. Thank you. And then Ryan, just want to make sure to give you the chance if there's anything you want to throw on top of that. Yeah. The only other thing I would add there is just trying to get an understanding of what that athlete's injury history is, because that's going to drive a lot of what the, the interventions that we probably need to take place or understanding the mechanisms behind those injuries and trying to identify what those pieces were like Brandon talked about with un understanding, you know, what's the function of the ankle, what's the function of the hip, what's the function of the shoulder. And then just saying like, is it a physical capacity perspective or potentially like a, a loss of capability within that joint range of motion, or is it simply just a misappropriation of workload? And he, he may have just had a too quick of a ramp up period, or maybe his workload spiked because another injury happened to another player. And now this guy's got to take up the slack. So just trying to dive into that a little bit deeper can help with the approach of how we're going to treat this athlete from a year to year season to season. And even just like from the micro scale of what we we're going to put in place for that guy. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And we kind of focused a little bit on that, on that scap and that shoulder health, but we all know on this, on this call right now is that it's just more than that, you know, piecing it together, whether you're throwing or hitting. Um, so another topic of conversation in the sport of baseball is, is the idea of having structural balance um, so like biomechanically, baseball is a very one-sided sport, um, regardless if you're, you know, swinging or, or throwing. Um, Isaac, I'm going to come to you. So with this in mind, I'm curious to know what having structural balance means to you um, and how much value you place on it. Is it important for, import, uh, sorry, is it important for performance um, or is it a little bit more of that injury risk? Um, how do you merge the two and how do you separate them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my background is in, you know, the Poliquin methodology, and he was the one that kind of um, was the pioneer of, of using training data over, you know, a, a ton of different athletes back in the 90s to create some normative values on primary lifts and the relationships of their agonists, antagonists, and, and their synergists, um, and, how to, and how to really properly prescribe load uh, and receive relationships and performance and, and mechanism for that. So I, I really like using that strategy in general preparation and really like using that strategy to find out what our athletes aren't good at um, and building up those, those weak points. You might not, from a training perspective, you might not get um, close to those 100% ratios of, of uh, our level of comfort um, in relation to like squat, back squat, front squat, or front squat, back squat, and deadlift performance. Um, same with like all your presses. Um, your chin-up performance, your rotator cuff strength performance. But as we get better at those and identify those, then our athlete is built for success 
And as we get better at training quality and range of motion, then our permanency of mobility and stability state um, perspective is 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 better served long term. Um, so I, I like using that methodology when we're talking about structural balance to um, to things that we can control as strength conditioning professionals. Like we can control those things, we can identify those things, um, and, and the game is just going to elicit um, you know biases in in those on those. Um, you know, dominant sides. And, and what we tend to try to do is reset everything in our general preparation phase, use those good strategies and principles for training, um, get really good feedback on the performance by tracking it and tracking what we're doing in the gym, tracking our performance in the gym and making relationships on, on where the gaps are as our athletes are training and just make sure there's no blind spots in our programming decisions, uh, implementation strategies, um, and vice versa. So that, that, that's a little harder to replicate across like 14 coaches uh, but having the understanding of like thinking that way, identifying strategies that way, building up weak links, like that's going to insulate us across the board. Um, that's one methodology. That's one I'm really, really exposed to and passionate about and seeing really great results. Um, and I think it's, it's translative to any sport um, and comes from really good coaching, driving good technique and, and, and uh, following good principles of training. Now, with that being said, like, does that transition between, you know, you talked about general preparation prep and whatnot. So does that change in your in-season then? Like, are you focusing I, on? I would still organize the training in relationship to making sure that we have adherence to those things. And there's, there's, there's probably more responsible exercise selection and decisions um, as an economy of training as it relates to in-season methods. Um, and finding opportunity to keep lean tissue on, muscle mass on, um, still find ways to elicit durability in the joint, um, proper exposures and dosages of the prescription. Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, you probably have less variability economy inside of your exercise selection as you get into season. If you do a really good job with your preparation and your learning, then your training menu and your economy definitely grows and the weapons they have available are, are better. Um, but, you know, some of the restrictions that we have is we only get to see these guys in season. So being really, really um, alert to where those gaps are and, and opportunities to, um, to provide really good instruction and to build up some weak links are, are important to, to consider too. Um, globally, front rack loading is super important for us. Um, if we're going to elicit a strength response because of efficiency economy or just being able to load um, easier in season with partial ranges of motion, just making sure that we're really deliberate on, uh, on exposures to full range of motion when we can, um, making sure there's balance in our program between agonist, antagonist, synergist, uh, and making sure that we have um, opportunity to keep uh, uh, rep ranges that elicit some lean tissue uh, throughout the week too. Um, that's how we kind of try to see it as, as being efficient within possibly two 30 minute sessions a week. Sometimes you get more, lots of times you get way less. Um, and in the facilities that we have um, being really strategic and, and, and really flexible with um, some of those strategies are important too. Uh, we're getting better as an organization with resources, facilities and hardware um, that allows us to make better decisions and, and provide better um, economy for our players too. Awesome, really good detail there. And I, I'm gonna bring Ryan into the mix just because you guys are in the same organization. So 
where we talk about availability and your role and, and basically being that facilitator um, up and down the chain. Let's just talk sport coach, baseball coach, to your performance coach, to yourself and, and so on. There's so many different hats, uh, no pun intended baseball, but um, are you taking those imbalances potentially? Let's say a guy is unavailable um, from a physiological standpoint. Are you going back down and, and saying, hey, we recognize this imbalance, like we're seeing it start to, you know, de or trend down as the season progresses. Maybe he's fatiguing in, in a certain sense. Like, how are you handling that information and then communicating amongst others uh, within the organization to make sure that he's ready to rock through that long season? Yeah, for sure. That's a great point to bring up. And one of the things that we're we're currently working to improve upon now is getting all of the different data points from each of these different departments into a more centralized hub that we can bring all those stakeholders to the table. So then if we do identify like these negative patterns or trends of change, whether it's positive or negative, then we can have further discussions. And then it just really what it does is it raises the flag and kind of alerts us to maybe not say like this is a red, yellow, or a green flag. We just notice there is some sort of change. Is it warranting a response from our SNC coaches, from our player health staff, from our player development staff? Just being able to kind of go to the department that is the closest to what is identified as whatever the problem is at the time to be able to give them an opportunity to say, what are you seeing from your side? Okay, here's what our player development staff is seeing. This is also what we're seeing from our SNC coaches from like the physiological structures. There may be some strength changes in a guy's um, manual muscle test from his shoulder ER to IR ratio. Maybe that could be contributing to either a loss of velo or potentially why his fastball is flattening out. And now he's starting to get hit a lot more because he doesn't have that movement potential there as well. So yeah, just being able to have those connections and bringing all of the, the stakeholders to the table so we can actually discuss the best appropriate plan of action for this guy um, is really kind of what my job helps facilitate those conversations. Nice. That's awesome. And, and just everybody being on the same page, which it sounds like you guys are progressing in a positive sense within the organization. Uh, Brandon, I want to touch on kind of your perspective. I know you've been with some world-class organizations with USA Baseball, Los Angeles Dodgers, ECU, like really good baseball organizations. But I want to hear your perspective because now you're kind of working with people who are, or you're a little bit separated from the organizations. So is it, hey, I'm doing the best I possibly can getting these, these baseball players prepped and primed for the season? And then, you know, so be it, or you continue that conversation with, let's say, a high school athlete compared to a college, like, hey, how do I know if they're having issues, they're starting to, you know, maybe fatigue throughout the season? How are you helping them from, from that structural balance, uh, per se, or maybe not at all? Yeah, no, that's, that's great, Mike. And it's one... One that, you know, we continue to have like the conversations, like I, I got a couple guys, um, you know, here that, that I'm training um, that, you know, I've talk, I'm talking to their coaches and you know, nothing really changes in the fact that it's like, okay, what's the goal for this individual? And the goal from the, like the, the sports side of things, the baseball side of things is always going to drive what we do because we're a support to, to what they're doing out there on the field. So um, just having those conversations like, okay, what does X player need? to be the best possible version of himself and to succeed at the highest level within whatever organization that is, whether it's a, you know, a college or a high school player or whatever the case may be, like having those conversations and then like having the trust of a 16 year old kid who's going to go to a, one of the best colleges in the country is probably going to be a first round pick. Like 
everybody's been telling him how good he is and he's going to walk in here in a second, but everybody's been telling him how good he is his whole life. And it's like, okay, that's all well and good. But like, how does he trust me as a person? And like, and the telltale sign and all of you guys can appreciate this. It's like, all right, dude, take a knee and hand me your arm. And they hand you their arm like this. Like the, when they just give us their arms like that, you, you know, you have them, you know, there's a relationship there. And, you know, to me, that's the biggest thing is like, how can I make a relationship with that player? So that, so that then I can go have conversations with their coaches, with their trainers, their strength coaches, whoever the people are that are touching these guys to, to have that positive influence. Um, and as far as like the structural balance stuff goes, like, I think, I think you did, to me, it just goes back to like, and this is what I think of. And like, this is going to be a little bit different answer than Isaac gave. Like it just goes to like, what do they need? Like, what, what, the, what exactly do they need? Like, you know, there'd be times where I was East Carolina, it's like, all right, everybody's doing ankle mobility, everybody's doing hip mobility, and everybody's going to do their T-spine rotations. Okay, that's cool. Well, I got some guys that are that need T-spine stability. So if I'm cranking into T-spine mobility, like, am I making them worse? Like, yeah, I am. And I did. I did that. So, like, having the ability to understand, like, what are some of the things that, like, need to take place? And, like, what are the specifics? Like, you know, all five of us on here, like, we all have right ankles. All right. But we all might need like right ankle mobility, right ankle stability, like various planes of motion. So like being very specific in their prep work and within the routine of like, if this isn't going to help make them a better baseball player, like then we're not doing it. We're not wasting their time. Like we're not taking the resources. Like we're going to get them to a place that they need to be. And you know, that's not necessarily like the definition of the structural balance stuff in the way that Isaac was talking about. But like when he was speaking, like that's what, what it made me think of. It's like, how can I, help this kid that just walked in the door be the best version of himself and make it to where he can you know do everything that he wants to do and it's it's play baseball at a high level so that's what i got on that one quick follow-up yeah. on that brandon um yeah. so like how often are you like objectifying like hey yeah. all right he, he needs more thoracic stability i get that but like is it a four-week thing like how do you know what you're doing is working in order to you know keep progressing where they need to be yeah, we test range of motion stuff, um, you know, at least once a month, depending on like who it is. Like Johnny over here likes to get going a little bit more. So he wants a little bit more information. They do their jumps once a week, all that good stuff, all their lower body power output stuff, have med ball slams. That's the cool thing about the output. Like we can be training and say, hey, well, where's this at? Like, all right, well, go hit your movement and then come over. Let's strap this thing up and let's see where your T spine rotation is. Like, has it improved? Like, no, it hasn't. Not at the rate that we hoped it had. Like, okay, let's get on that. And you know, these guys are a little bit younger than, than some of the guys I've had in the past, but like they're, they're just as competitive, not more at times. So like, that's, that's the big thing is, is making sure that you're giving them that information and you're not just testing. And it's like, all right, well, we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens down the road, but um, also like empowering them to like, you know, I kind of like talk crap to them for lack of better words. Like, Hey, it's, this is your career. Like I I've used, I, I learned that with the Dodgers, uh, you know, Carl, one of my coordinator you know, taught me that he said, Hey, it's their career. Like if they don't want to do it, like whatever, like, and it's not the thought process of like, we don't care, but it's like just giving that little nudge of like, Hey man, like we're here to support you. And that's what, you know, the Dodgers organization, in my opinion, and this is a very skewed opinion because I've only worked with one professional team does the best out of anybody is like, they're able to wrap their arms around them because there's so many arms and be able to say like, Hey, here's the avenue you could go, but like if you don't want to go there, like come back to us and we'll have that conversation with you. Um, with Five Tool Connection, like we we are people that are super passionate about our families, our kids, like you know what we're doing, and we're able to take that and like put it into what we do here on a daily basis. Like this facility right here is in my backyard. Like my kids are 200 yards that way. So like 
we're, we're able to, to do things at a super high level to pour into these people. Well, it helps when you're in the country. Don't you uh, do agility work with like chasing chickens? Uh, well, I would, but my man over here is scared of chickens. So I told him if he wants to go get some eggs, he can have them whenever he wants. But, uh, <laughs> Hudson, my son Hudson's five. Um, and my youngest one, Carson, is two. And, and yeah, they go snag them boys up anytime they get out of the, out of the pen and toss them back in. So love it. Rocky running around out here. Awesome. Any, anything else to add from like a structural balance uh, perspective um, before I, we kind of carry on? I just wanted to echo what Brandon was saying, like the success of, of these guys in their spaces with baseball is because a, they love the game. They appreciate the game. They appreciate the players. They educate the players, show the player the information in a really digestible way um, so that the story is, you know, about them and, and, and how they're progressing and improving and the, and the, and their, um, you know, ultimately creating an environment and a culture that we think is productive to training. Like that's, that's culture to me. I don't want to get on my pedestal or anything, but that's, that's what culture is. And that's how you drive like really good training environments. Um, so bottling that up and, and sharing that with young coaches who are on this, um, um, you know, on this feed and listening in, like, that's how you're going to be successful and get to where they are. And that's how you're going to be successful and work with the population you want to be uh, working with. hundred uh, percent. Great input there, Isaac. I'm going to flick it over to, to Gabe to, to get into a little bit more of uh, the training aspect and, and power. Yeah, Brandon, just real quick, two things that resonated with me at least was number one, admitting the mistakes that you made along the way. I, I yeah. was there too, year one, same thing. Okay, thirty, No way 35 guys, especially the collegiate level, even 40, should oh. all be doing the same thing. So getting out of your own way, admitting mistakes and, and putting your ego aside in that regard. And then number two, everyone hit on it is the education piece for the athletes is just huge. Um, allowing, you know, educating allows them to then take ownership of that process. So uh, let's talk a little bit about power. And we mentioned it before, Isaac, you, you had mentioned it. And then uh, Ryan, you also talked about outliers versus average. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. When you look at baseball athletes, we see them come in all types of different shapes and sizes. It's really amazing. Some are elastic, some are whippy and rely, some rely on strength and some can just generate through velocity. Regardless, power is the king, right? Power is what's most important. So do you guys bucket your athletes based on velocity or strength capabilities? And I'm going to start with Ryan because you had mentioned outliers and allowing outliers to do what they do really well, whether that's on the strength side or the velocity side, whether it's just a technique thing. Um, how do you bring an athlete in, assess how they're generating power, and then allow them to continue to do that while also working on things that might help them help develop that? Yeah, so I think to touch on what Brandon had brought up earlier, like that's kind of the art of being a, an SNC coach and really being able to program uh, based off of what the individual needs are that you can identify from the assessments that hopefully you have uh, to draw from as well. So I think from like you brought up the elastic type athlete. Well, to me, when I think of an elastic type athlete, like that's a, an individual who can not only produce a lot of force, but hopefully withstand the repeatability of that force is because they're not relying on contractile properties to generate the force. So hopefully you would see that reflected in their um, delivery in the way like, you know, just for an example, we were talking about a guy earlier today on our on one of our teams who his arm 
like the recoil that you see from there, like there's just literally no tension. So you just know it's kind of free flowing and he's not having to beat up his, his posterior cuff just because he's not working on decelerating his arm so much. He's just letting it kind of recoil and bounce back. So being able to see a guy do that just kind of gives us an, um, an indication of, Hey, we might just need to let him kind of do what he does and just continue down that path while sprinkling in a little bit of the things that Isaac was touching on from a structural balance perspective to increase the capability of the musculature so he can handle and kind of insulate himself against those potential, um, you know, usage injuries that he may see if a guy jumps from the collegiate level where there's only, you know, 50 some odd games in a season to now he's coming to, uh, rookie ball or potentially a ball and now he's got to go through 100 innings in this next year so what can we do to help get him uh, to increase his longevity over it and I'm gonna I will always say from my perspective like I'm very much a generalist and I'm just always gonna work from like a, a proximal to distal approach and just saying what can we do proximally to help uh, ensure that this guy can produce the force um, both in a, on a, a maximum like can we push the ceiling a little bit but also raise the floor in, con, uh, in conjunction with that so that guy can have a longevity and career and he's not going to take such a toll from a physiological perspective just because we're always trying to push the, the needle forward, but not uh, bring in the, those lagging points behind with us as well. Yeah, thank you. And Isaac, you had mentioned the idea of or implementing force plates with some of your athletes and using that to maybe look at some metrics and some abilities. Can you talk a little bit and elaborate a little bit on that yeah. in regards to bucketing your athletes or identifying the capabilities of your athletes? Yeah, we, we use the counter movement jump to assess power. Um, we have some position specific and pitcher specific tests to look at how reactive they are. Um, and then we have an opportunity to look at um, a quick snapshot of how strong uh, and powerful they are in a ratio to one another to see, you know, what kind of biases they have, whether it's in the speed strength consideration or in the force production consideration, are they, are they uh, a fast athlete that uh, the Brian was saying they can, can uh, produce and accept force quickly, or do they have to generate force with a lot, a lot of effort and time um, to, for that value to be high um, in relation to development. And we look at development with the brewers, like skill development, medical availability, and, you know, talent and availability being two things that we prioritize. Um, we would, we would hope that strength and conditioning serves a piece to identify a marker of like, are they strong enough and powerful enough? And is it a, is it a skill solution that we need to work into? Um, so there is opportunity to evaluate those things, whether it's uh, from a biomechanical perspective, a motion capture perspective, whatever, and go down our checklist and say like, we has, he has the capability to express in a general sense, all the things that we think are important um, to, um, to have the opportunity to do X or Y, you know, I, you know, there's no secret in major league baseball. It's, you know, velocity, it's output, it's exit velocity. It's, it's fastball velocity that you pay for. So if we can develop that, I think, um, or have opportunity to say that we can help insulate that or have a component in, in the development process for that, um, then you're in a good spot. This gives us confirmation um, for a lot of athletes whether that's something that we want to affect change initially or whether that's something that we say like, all right, we're confident in this, in this uh, roadmap for development. And maybe it's something on the, on the sequencing side or, or the skill development side. Um, I, I think that's pretty general without giving up too many industry secrets. Brian, yeah, well, will, have to, yeah. Brian will have to stop me if I'm, if I'm oversharing. 
Yeah. Thank you for mentioning the appreciation for just skill acquisition and the importance of, hey, this might even just be a skill issue, um, I think is can be overlooked oftentimes by coaches, but oftentimes by players as well. Yeah, uh, we'd love to got, think like <laughs> the performance side solves everything, you know, uh, we would love to think like we, we serve a huge chunk in the development piece. And like for some people that that ratio is like maybe it's a, a 20 percent clip that we're helping improve um, their their on-field performance. Some people it's like minimal one percent. Um, but if we can educate the athlete on how to take care of themselves and, and, and provide longevity in their careers, like that's a W. Yeah, sounds like you have a nice lens over there with the Brewers. I know Ryan at least mentioned the coaching eye and just watching the sport and watching the guys. So mixing maybe some of the things you're seeing from the objective side of things with the measurements that you're doing and the force plates and other things you mentioned, and then just getting out there and watching them, you start to have a better understanding and better idea. So Brandon, uh, I'll go over to you and make sure you get a chance for this. Anything related to bucketing your athletes in terms of the velocity side or strength capability side? Yeah. Yeah. So like we, we use all that stuff to, to be able to put them in the right position um, initially to be able to see like, okay, again, what is going to allow them to, to get in the best position possible and to be able to go compete. Uh, you know, we've had guys that just work on like neuromuscular coordination and like understanding where their body is in space and I can go get them as strong as they want. But like, if they're not able to, you know, walk and chew gum for lack of better terms, like they're not going to be able to go out there and pitch and compete at a high level. So um being able to again educate them on the fact that hey you're doing this this training routine so you can get in and you can again lay that foundation so then we can go get you strong we can get you powerful and then we can do all the fun sexy stuff that everybody else wants to see but like being able to control your body and like hammer out an iso split squat hammer out a push-up hold like all of those things so we can literally like crawl and do all of that before we're trying to go sprint and and really get to some of that that more higher end velocity side of things. There's also a psychological component that kind of comes into play there too, with especially the sport of baseball and how much routines and just having a guy having uh, confidence when he goes out there, either on the mound or when he steps into the box. So sometimes it is just kind of catering to what the athlete likes to do so they can go out there and just feel good about themselves and then hopefully put themselves in a mental state where he can go and perform at the highest level. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely agree there. So we kind of touched on power and like from a holistic approach and the, and the different types of athletes that we may get. So strength, power, et cetera. But what we do know as well with baseball, it's a very rotational sport. So with that being said, like, how are we defining rotational power? And then are we looking at it from any type of objective manner assessments and feel free to maybe even touch on like the difference between what you guys as performance coaches are looking for to maybe like a hitting and pitching coach and how they merge together. Um, Ryan, I'd, I'd like to get your, uh, your thought process, especially in the role that you're in, like, what are you looking objectively or at first de define maybe rotational power from, from your standpoint, and then how are you collecting it and then pr pushing forward? Yeah, I think with the sport, with how much, practice in like sport specific movements these guys get just within the sport themselves and that's where I kind of touched on earlier like my approach is very generalist from that uh, that section is like these guys are going to go out and get a thousand plus swings a week and sometimes a coach is going to come to us and be like hey you know his like back hip looks like he's kind of getting stuck and he can't really get through and clear his hips like is there anything that we can do to replicate what we're doing within the weight room setting and in my mind I just always kind of think like 
going back to what Isaac said, like, is this a weight room problem that we have to solve or is this just the skill acquisition piece? So um, I think to, to go back to some of the points that we've made about the assessments, like what are the, the low hanging fruit things that we can touch on that can hopefully increase like the movement capabilities themselves from a general perspective, and then hopefully bridge that into the skill acquisition of what these coaches are going to be asking them to do from a day-to-day basis. So I think that's where, you know, you can try to get really fancy and really cute. And I've definitely been a uh, victim of this or guilty of this in my time as an SNC coach trying to like mirror exactly the the sporting movements within the weight room side of things and realizing like there's just not that much return on investment with the work that these guys are doing on the field and then I'm taking away some of my very limited time where I could be working on bigger things from like a strength power and speed perspective to try and like get this one percent better in this little thing that that again may not be my solution to come up with so from a rotational aspect like yes we'll work on the the med ball throws uh, and get into that piece and we can work on I think Bill Miller does a really good job of this with being able to measure the the different velocities at different weights and being able to put like a force velocity profile together from a rotational sense uh, so then you can kind of focus on speed strength strength speed realms just taking the same concepts and applying it to the rotational capabilities of an athlete I think is a big thing but really just overall can we get them stronger can we get them faster can we get them expressing power in all different phases of motion in all different planes and that's going to hopefully translate to the skill component if we can just hand over to our development coaches this is the best possible athlete that i can create for you guys we've molded this clay to what we can it's your turn to finish it off and make it the best baseball player honestly i love your answer I i love the fact that you really you know took a step back and, hey, we're performance coaches. And there's a difference between, you know, training for performance and also training from a tactical, technical piece. And that's simply just not our role um, in most cases. And Brandon, I'm going to go to you, especially because, you know, back at St. John's, we worked together. We spent many times, um, you know, sitting with the with the pitching coach and, and talking shop and, hey, what do we need to do on our end to merge? Um, you know, performance on the field as well as performance in the weight room and, and what is their role and what is our role. So like a little bit um, of a left-hand turn here in regards to rotational power, but what communication have you seen over the years um, from that standpoint to making sure, hey, to piggyback off what Ryan said, this is what we're doing to help um, and then going and making sure that the, the best athlete is out on the field. Yeah, well, I mean, St. John's is where, where it all started for me it was like learning, sitting with Corey and, and you and being able to like understand like what's happening on the mound and like what is true rotation? Like what does pelvic rotation look like? Like what does T-spine rotation look like? Like how do you teach that? Like being able to one, understand what that is and then being able to like backtrack and be able to get to the situation that you need to be in. Um, but like in just watching the game, being around the game, I think is is super important and a super lost art, I think. Right now, it's super common to be like, oh, well, I'm this sports performance coach who's also a pitching coach. It's like, well, no, you're not. You're a performance coach who thinks you're a pitching coach. And then you got people over here who think, you know, they can they can go do both as well. And it's like being able to watch the game and you you watch this guy like all the time. You can see turn on any major league game and you'll you'll see somebody who's competing at the highest level in the world who cannot produce power rotationally like guys are getting into lumbar extension they're flying open early but they're winning and they're competing so it's like all right is rotational power like number one what is rotational power and like to me it's efficient movement and like being able to sequence from the ground and like putting force into the ground and then basically being able i'll say this a different way 
being able to step on the gas and then be able to step on the brake. And if there ain't no brake pedal there, you ain't stepping on no brakes and you ain't throwing the ball fast and you're not hitting the ball fast, which to Isaac's point earlier, you're not getting paid. You're not getting picked up by a big league club. So being able to do what needs to be done at the time that it needs to be done, that's the name of the game. Can you apply the rate that, you know, the force at the rate that it needs to be applied, like within the sequence that it needs to be done. So um, like rotational power is awesome. And I think it's so much fun to, to train, but if you have a kid again that has 10 to 12 degrees of internal external rotation on their back hip and they're a right-handed hitter, they're going to sway, they're going to slide. Like they're not going to be able to get into that. It's like, so it's going to be more linear. It's going to be linear power. It's not actually rotational power. So I think being able to, again, Ryan, you know, nailed it. Being able to look at what is actually going on. And when the coach comes up and says, Hey, like they, they can't get into their hips or they can't do this. And you're like, yes, we know we're working on this give us this amount of time to be able to allow that athlete to go and do what you want, or you guys are just going to bang your heads together and no results going to come. And then everybody's going to be frustrated. And then the performance department's going to be the one that gets blamed because they can't internally externally rotate at the back hip. So just having that communication and, and taking your time with it, but also having like the real expectation of this part's our job from the movement, general quality standpoint, but it's also our job to be able to look at it from a baseball side of things and say like, all right, well, that's not pelvic rotation because the majority of the pitching coaches, like even at the, at the highest levels, like they know what looks good. They know what metrics looks good. They know what grips look good. They know how to get their players to be able to achieve the, the highest standards and go compete for world series, but they may not be able to see movement the way that we can. Like the five of us can go watch a bullpen with some of the best pitching coaches on the planet and we're going to see and say the most important thing here is that we're going to say different things. We're going to say, oh, he can't get into his back hip. Like, did you see how that frontal stability in the back hip, like the back ankle's not there? Like, they're just going to be like, oh, well, like, looks like he was, you know, falling off glove side. Like, that's great. But, like, why was he falling off glove side? Like, we have to understand that. And we have to almost be the bridge there to show them, like, all right, yes, this is a general quality or this is a baseball quality. And, like, that's what's super cool about professional baseball right now is they have people in those positions to be able to bridge those gaps and talk that talk and, and really get both sides working together. So it's not a, you know, one size fit all kind of deal. Isaac, really, really quick to you, to that point, like with the position that you're in, is that, you know, facilitation of conversation um, happening a lot within your role and, and pushing forward yeah. and making sure that everybody's on the same page, even verbally, um, correct terminology hey what are what are our key words that we need to make sure that we're on the same page yeah no doubt um you know my role uh gets to be the messenger for our department across our organization so we get to interact with all parts of the organization and its leadership um which provides visibility and clarity of what's important to them and how we can make an impact um in the development space you know, ultimately, there's so many measurables on field that we can identify if it's an issue or if it's something we need to acquire or if it's something that we look to develop. Um, so we can look at all of the tracings of performance over time through years and years of data. We can we we get we get help that way, and then we like we talked about, we can go down our checklist and, and use our our biomechanics team to figure out is it a skill acquisition, a sequencing thing, is it a strength thing? So there's lots of ways to chop it up. We're, we're not there yet. There's not a lot of clubs who are there yet. Um, we're getting better at it because we're getting better at talking to each other. Um, so that's super important. Um, 
uh, so there's no, there's, I don't think there's a team that has the answer. Otherwise they'd be way ahead of us and win every world series ever. Um, so that, that's my answer to that one. I'm sure it's not a great one, but uh, sitting in the chair that I have now and not having one, one group of 35 guys every day that I get to teach and coach um, that gives you an opportunity to do that too. Appreciate everyone's feedback on that for sure. And I think one of the things that really hits home is just the communication piece. We've heard that in a lot of the answers and the ability to communicate, not just coach to coach, but coach to athlete and so on. So obviously we can place a lot of importance on that. Uh, just kind of a quicker question here. There's been a lot of debate on this topic over the years. I don't even say debate, just conversation, but I'm going to get a little bit specific with this scenario. We have a starting pitcher. It's mid-season. Let's assume they had a normal start, which we would say is like five to seven innings, 85 plus pitches in the start. We'll call that day zero, right? Their day, uh, their start day is day zero. What does day one look like for this athlete in terms of the work that they're going to be doing in the weight room or on the field? I would love to know the answer, either what you've previously done. I know it may depend on that individual, but <laughs> where's our general principles lie in terms of answering what that day one looks like and anyone who's willing to give it a shot to start, go ahead. Nice. Nice. I'll start. Um, Gabe, it depends, man. You know that like, it depends <laughs> there. There are lots of ways to confirm, you know, whether your prescription from day one or we call it day one or day zero leading up to the start is productive, right? You talk to the athlete, are they prepared? Do they feel prepared? Is the, is the outing good? You have all these metrics that, that can indicate whether your intervention or methods of intervention was productive start over start week over week and month over month. Um, so if you're smart, you make adjustments based on the confirmation of the information, right? So initially, I think the safest way is just reset, like reset everything, right? Get everything calmed down and get back to neutral. I think whatever that means for you, whether that's a movement flow, whether that's uh, you know parasympathetic work, it's a hot word. I, I don't really know how to do that and, and say like you're in parasympathetic mode, um, but that's a buzzword. Um, but there's confirmation with tools, physiological tools, performance measurements, to say like, are we, are we repeating those things week after week? And are those things that we're repeating leading to productive performances? So I think that's another crappy answer, but I think that's, that's a systematic way to do it. Um, there's some confirmation objectively and subjectively to do it that way too. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah, I think like I'll, I'll jump in I'll, on, on top of that. It's all about like how you develop like the systems and, and you know, Isaac, you guys have probably done this already, but like having the systems in place of, you know, all right, I'll, this is what it looks like. And we're going to give our coaches and we're going to empower our coaches to go make that it depends decision. And, and that's, you know, to me, like what the biggest thing is, is like, there's no, there's no absolutes in this game. And, and, and as soon as somebody says like, Hey, we're going to do this. And this is like how we roll. Like, they're probably already left behind. And to Isaac's point, like they're probably not the ones competing for world series or even national championships. So like being able to have the thought process of, okay, this is my perfect world. If I could do this with this person, great. But we know the game of baseball is not a perfect world and it's going to, to rear its ugly head and, and put us in our place. So being able to be reactive with plan a 
and like plan B, C, D, E all the way down being as close to plan A as possible. Like that's to me, like where I found the most success. And also like the older the players get, the more experience they have, like giving them the autonomy to say like, Hey, here are some options here. Like, what do you feel? Because that's where like, I think you, you make it their own, you make it their program. It's not our program. It's they're, they're the ones doing it. We just wrote it on a, a piece of paper or a cool little piece of technology we're flashing on an app. So like giving it to them and let, allowing them to take hold of it. That's where the, again, I, I know I keep talking about the art and then like the, the stuff that we can't see and we can't touch, but like, that's, if you look at any aspect of sports, like, Oh, they just had it. They had like, that person has it. Well, what is it? It is their ability to like be bought into what they're doing and compete at the highest level every single night. And cannot work with grown men and like not give them the autonomy like they have to have autonomy they have to have thought processes and then we it again turns back to that relationship of we guide them where we want them to go and at the end of the day like we're the coaches but you know depending on the level you're at like being able to let them have some input is is huge on that aspect of things yeah isaac this this felt like the most it depends answer of like most baseball questions so that almost pushed me to being like i have to ask it because there are so many different ways and approaches to this on this day one and i think you know ryan hit on it a little bit earlier and you just did again putting a lot of value into that subjective piece of it and brandon just talked about it as well there giving these people choices giving these players options and choices and having autonomy and really asking, okay, how are you feeling? What's going on and making adjustments from there. So appreciate that. Ryan, if you have anything to answer on top of that, maybe something that you did when you were with Stanford or Baylor or something that's going on now, feel free to. Yeah, I've definitely been on both sides of the coin where I've said, okay, day one, like you're the furthest day out from your next competition. Like we're just going to hammer lower body. And if you're sore, I don't care. And then I've been on the side of like, okay, I understand like, yes, you just threw a hundred pitches you probably need, you know, you're the Friday night starter. So you get less time because you're up until 2 a.m. because you're still jacked from last night's win or loss, whichever one. And you come in the next day. Like, I understand there might need to be a reason to, as Isaac put it, do a parasympathetic reset, you know, just get a guy to calm down and, and understand like there's such a long runway when you're at least on a seven day rotation to get work in that you can push that out to like a 48 hour window from to them, what is the highest level of competition and the highest stress level they're going to go through the week? Cause that's when they're out there on the mound for the longest and competing. Um, so I think, yeah, just to echo what both of these two coaches said, like being able to take in the input from the athletes of, Hey, what makes you feel good on that next day? And if you get a chance to, um, in my later years, being able to take the, the fall ball schedule with those starters and just kind of play around and tweak with, Hey, let's try this this week and see how you feel and talk to me about like after your pen the next day when you come in, um, you know, or, you know, match day minus three, whatever that is for your, for your pen. Let's talk about how you felt during that. Okay. Next week, let's, let's try this and see if someone's open to that or if they're, they have any input themselves of like, Hey, I really liked this. And then I, I didn't really like that as much. I didn't feel like that benefited me. And then you can kind of make it their own and just help guide them through the process. And, that, and that's kind of all I feel like we are at the end of the day is really just kind of teachers and guides to help these these kids understand, you know, as they matriculate through the levels of baseball and hopefully get to that highest level, can we just play a small part in helping them establish what their routines are so that they can get into a really good groove and a rhythm that follows them throughout the levels so that they can always like kind of come back and center themselves to be like, you know, regardless of what the outcome is, I can control the process. 
and my process I feel very confident in so I can go out there and compete. And if I don't have my greatest day, that's okay. I'm going to trust my process and go out there and hopefully in the long run, and especially in a game of averages like baseball is, my average will come out in a better position than, than my opponent. Well, speaking of routines and, and getting that feedback from players and, and giving the autonomy of a player to kind of pick their process and routine. Um, and we know a lot of baseballs need to have their routine. Um, so with that being said, there's a ton of different interesting exercises that a lot of players bring to the forefront um, because they need to do it on a daily basis because it makes them feel some type of way. So I guess with that being said, from a the psychological aspect of a practitioner, we get that to a degree. Um, so how often do we leverage uh, nature's medicine cabinet um, without letting the athlete take it too far? Like, hey, we understand that this is part of your routine. Maybe it's a little safety blanket or security blanket, but to what point to then, hey, we need to step in and educate because this isn't quite working. And, and Brandon, I'll go to you first. Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think anytime um, there's like any detriment or it's going against what we're trying to accomplish and what who they are as a person, I think that's where you step in and and you have that conversation. Like, for example, if you know if they're uh, somebody who needs to to acquire maximal strength to bring that threshold where it needs to be from a power standpoint, like, and they're out there running a bunch and you know they need to run a lot and they need to you know, do a bunch of volume in the gym and they're never actually touching loads that are going to allow the the force side of the things to, uh, to be Alyssa. I think that's where you have the conversation, but um, at the end of the day, it also depends to me. It's like the age of the player as well. Like, you know, some of these guys behind me, like, you know, they're, they're definitely not in the same position that some of the guys were that I had in pro ball where it's like, Hey, let's have a conversation. And like, here's, you know, exactly um, kind of what we're going to do. Like on the flip side of that, like, I teach these guys like 16, 17, 18 year olds the same way that I would like some of the older guys, like, but it's just a different thought process of where they're at and like educating them where they are on their journey. And then again, empowering them to fulfill whatever journey it is that they want and have them know like, Hey, I got your back no matter what, man. Like if you want to get better at this, like, here's what I think is the best. Like, what do you think's the best? And if they have a thought process, great. We'll have a conversation, but if they don't, they're like, Hey, B, I trust you. Let's go get after it. Like, let's push until, you know, we need to kind of re, uh, rethink that process. But um, I think, you know, there's guys in the big leagues that probably do a whole lot of weird shit and, and you got to let them do it. Like they're big leaguers for a reason. And I, I'm not going to go tell some of those, those guys making 300 million that they can't do their weird thing and be the first one on the chopping block. So I think it just depends. Isaac, any input from your perspective? Yeah, I, I got some opinions. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I come back to the idea of development, and you know, all of us are collegiate strength and conditioning coaches, and and we got players that never have been in the weight room or, or know how to work. Um, so I think it's very, very important that that doesn't get uh, misconstrued that we just let our players pick and choose like whatever they want. Um, regardless of all of the physiological metrics, they didn't sleep well, they didn't eat well, they need to learn how to work, right? so that those indicators start to play up. They, they learn from their experiences that, that they'll have better outputs from better lifestyle, nutritional habits, and all those things. Um, so one of, one of my mentors, he's the, the director of basketball at the University of Miami, Preston Green, 
I just listened to him talking and, and he, you know, some of the roadblocks that he had with like wearable technologies and getting tons of data on players, like ultimately it didn't matter anymore. Like still teaching 17 year old, 18 year old players, like how to use this for your routine. This is your work, how to learn, how to work, how to learn, how to work smart and then learn, 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 uh, work consistently. Um, that's the, that's the foundation piece to get to the, the conversations that are productive about what do you want to do today and what do you need today? Um, so for young coaches out there, like that's important. That's the mindset. That's important. Your, your tactic and your communication method and your style um, in order for people to hear you and appreciate you. That's super important. Um, if you want to be a good coach and you want to, you want to make it, um, that comes down to the caring about people being a good person, not being an idiot. So, yeah. Love it. People industry got to build those relationships in order to make that influence. Ryan, anything to wrap it up in regards to that question? Yeah. I'll just kind of piggyback off of one of the things that Brandon said, it's just kind of having a pulse to know which of your athletes can you give more autonomy and which you can, like, if you know, Johnny's a mature not only just from a physical perspective, but like from a mental and emotional perspective, and he can handle a little bit more freedom. Sure. He can earn that through the process. But if you know, Timmy over there, who to Isaac's point, like he doesn't sleep, he doesn't eat, like he doesn't, you know, do all the things off the field that you can trust him with. And I'm probably not going to give him a whole lot of options when he comes into the weight room, because he's going to take a little bit more of a narrow pathway because I understand the things that he needs more than he probably does at that point. So I think just, yeah, knowing where they are in their journey, kind of where they are from a, a maturity standpoint will kind of help you guide those decisions a little bit more appropriately. Love it. Before I flick it over to Gabe, I just want to say thanks. Um, I appreciate your guys' time. A lot of good insight here um, and a really nice approach um, to attacking training within baseball. So thanks again. Appreciate you guys being on. Gabe, over to you to wrap it up. Thank you. Brandon, we've been doing this for about eight months you easily have the best background of anybody over yeah. the over the course of those eight months you just got and for people who are listening on audio uh he's got guys lifting in the background right now it's awesome they're squatting and, and going in so appreciate that yeah Gabe, let me chime in really quick i was going to save this for later but brandon tell big hoss that he doesn't need to look at the camera every time he gets under the barbell we see him back there all right what is that 225 or left all right relax Michael, Michael, I can't let you do that to my boy. Uh, he split squat 315 the other night at 0.77, and he's 16. So if you want to jump in a plane and come do it with him, you're welcome to. Give me a flight out. I'm there. He needs your shit, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I just appreciate that. And it's, yeah. it's a great, great thing to be seeing in the background while we're talking about training. So thank you. Uh, last question. It's a fun one. It's something we ask all of our guest panelists who join us on the KES. What does your own training look like right now? Is it practice what you preach? Are you training for anything specific, experimenting, just trying to survive? Uh, what's going on? Do you guys give us a little bit of insight, a little quick hitter on what's happening with your own training? And we're going to start with Isaac, head over to Ryan, and we'll finish it up with Brandon. Um, you know, this is our first off-season being able to map out, like, our method for off-season training. We mapped out, a, you know, a GPP phase of 11 weeks and an SPP phase of nine weeks. Um, undulating periodization like good methods for training and so like myself Tib, I'll, I'll speak a little bit for Tibbets I've seen him in the gym doing it um we all kind of jump in and do the program like that's it like we if we want to learn how to train and, and collectively learn the principles like all our coaches are 
that are in Arizona, their conflicts, like they're doing the program. They're, they're, we didn't make them do the program. We kind of sold it with a smile and a, and a how about you try. Um, but they're learning some of our thought process through training. And then we talk, get to talk about training. I think that's really, really cool. Um, we get to be in the same environment in the gym at the same time and um, get to talk shop and, and pick each other's brains. And uh, that's been really, really productive. So um, it's always a little bit harder when you're in an administrative role that you're not on the floor every single day, but we make sure that we um, encourage each other and we get in. That was the first person to mention practice what you preach, I think, Mike, right? First staff Milwaukee Brewers, practice what you preach. So thanks for that answer. Ryan, how's that training been going for you, having to be one of those individuals who's in there? What's been your favorite part about it? So I will say there is definitely an asterisk with me following the program and mine gets heavily modified most days. So I've, <laughs> I've got a six month old son and I kind of tacked on. So in a two month time period, he was born. I moved halfway across the country with my family and started a new job altogether. So things were kind of a whirlwind for a while there. So I still kind of hang back and sit in the GPP phase and I don't really progress <laughs> too much out of that. And most of the times it's, it's going upper body only anyways. <laughs> Mixing in some cardio now, trying to trying to help myself out in the new year a little bit. Yeah, it's been fun to listen to a lot of the people we've had on. Obviously, we've known a couple of them for some time, and a lot of them now have kids or new parents. So seeing how that influences their own training seems to have a very heavy influence on it. So Brandon, we'll finish up with you there. Uh, what does your yeah. own training look like right now? Yeah, similar, uh, just rocking and rolling, similar to Ryan, not to... Uh our all-star over there, Isaac, but yeah, just trying to, trying to get my stuff, <laughs> trying to get my stuff rocking and rolling. You know, I got my Stairmaster back there trying to get a little less fat and just getting my work in and trying to get strong again. Maybe I can get strong like I used to be relatively yeah. to me, but uh, yeah, man, just trying to do it, have fun, play around with these guys every once in a while, but yeah, just trying to get strong and not be a lard ass. <laughs> well uh, said. Yeah, well said. So that's all the time we have for tonight. A, a big thank you to our three panelists, Coach Golden, Coach Tibbetts, and Coach Salazar. These are three individuals that are passionate about human performance and the game of baseball, and we're grateful to spend some time with them. Please be sure to give them all a follow on social media. Brandon, you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at Coach B. Golden. Isaac, you can follow on Twitter at iSalazar underscore three. And Ryan, you can follow on Twitter at Coach underscore Tibbetts. This discussion will be publicly available on the Kaiser Fitness YouTube page, and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under Kaiser Education Series. Thank you and have a great night.